Hey, Kay here, and hello to you soul seekers. This episode we'll be discussing the big question from last time, before contemplating on the irrationality of the masses, linking that to politics and democracy. The question last episode was, if you were travelling around the world, never settling down in a city for more than three months, what would you bring with you on your 14 kilograms carry-on luggage, given that the places you stay are always fully furnished? Why only carry-on, you ask? Well, it's far easier and more efficient compared to check-in, and it would never get lost. Baggage does get lost in transit. There's good reason why there's travel luggage insurance, not to mention the general advice to keep expensive electronics in your backpack. My buddy learned this the hard way when his DSL camera got lost in the check-in luggage. Furthermore, there's no need to get to the airport extremely early, saving much time and hassle, which makes early flights less about waking up at 4am and contemplating the nature of existence and more a refreshing wake up. As for what I would bring, sportswear for my clothing, thermal wear, underwear, socks, jackets, exercise phone straps, basic toiletries and shower gear. Then my laptop, keyboard and mouse, chargers, microphone, mic stand, phone, ebook reader, earphones and headphones. So why sportswear? I stumbled across a major secret, yet a bafflement. Why is sportswear, that nice, breathable mesh clothing, universally liked, yet never worn beyond exercising? If it's so good, then why not make it our main clothing? Hence, I replaced all my existing clothing to sports clothing. A bonus is how, given their lightweight materials, they dry faster. And if it gets cold, just slap on a thermal shirt, leggings, and a puffer jacket. Easy. On a side note, if I had excessive funds, then I would only bring a single pair of clothing and buy the rest at each destination. These days, with global brands like Uniqlo, it's possible to get decent and cheap clothing everywhere you go. Sportswear, the cheap kind, isn't that expensive, like $10 to $20 per piece. Thermals are $10 each, and shorts would be $20 to $30. That would be around $200 to $300 per new city to save the weight and hassle of clothing. With this strategy, it's possible to only bring a backpack everywhere you go. The rest is mainly about making a portable office anywhere I go. To me, a laptop and the internet is my entire world. It doesn't really matter where I go or where I stay. So long as I can set up my laptop properly, then that's my new home. After living a majority of my life online, I don't really connect well with others around me. If I wanted connections, then it's just an online group away in some hobby I'm interested in. As such, my home is ever moving and never the same. I'm a netizen a citizen of the net, rather than of any particular country. In the future, I'm planning on moving from country to country, staying at each place for no more than a few months. When that happens, do I truly belong anywhere? Can a home be so ever-moving and always changing? The loss of nationality goes against our tribal instincts. Perhaps that's why the world has gotten so politically charged. The tribe has shifted from nation into sub-interest. These days, you can affiliate with nearly any tribe of your liking without a single serious commitment. Just a tweet here and there, parrot some stock words and you're in. The tribal groups self-reinforce their own beliefs, where gatekeepers would prevent anyone who hasn't shown allegiance to the tribe from entering. So even non-tribal people would be tweeting this and that to gain access to resources otherwise restricted. One of them, as always, is women. Aquila article mentioned in a hug and naked yoga event, where only progressive liberal women would attend such events, which are majority male. If you want it in, 
for a chance of one of these women, you would need to signal how progressive you are. Now, it's not like I'm any different from them. At a startup pitch night, where a bunch of teams pitch their startup to the audience, I saw this rather attractive woman sitting in front of me. Later on, one of the pitching teams had a plethora of progressive language, and I instinctively hated their idea and their pitch. That was until the attractive lady stood up and joined that team later. Well, maybe progressive ideas aren't so bad after all. Sometime in the future, as I travel around the world and my nationality fades away as a byproduct, you will hear me parrot some random tribal garbage. Why? Because I needed to fill the void of the tribe. On the rationality of the masses, democracy, and politics. The average person doesn't give a flying fuck about the plight of others. We merely act that way in front of others, but our actions prove otherwise. The modern world was built on indifference. There's a lot of talk about ethically sourced meat, lab-grown meat, plant-based meat, and all that bullshit. But have you seen the price? Plant-based meat costs nearly double of standard meat. Who can afford that in this world of rising living cost? The only way to affordably feed billions is through being indifferent to highly questionable factory farming. Lab-grown meat will not be affordable in our lifetimes either. Their current processes involve growing cells in progressively larger vats. The issue with that is how it doesn't have economies of scale. Although you can grow more cells in a larger vat, but any contamination would destroy every single product in there. Thus, there's a risk trade-off with scaling up, which means production is always done in smaller quantities, thus more expensive per kilogram. There's intense criticism of billionaires and giant corporations, except not all of it is justified. One often repeated criticism is how Jeff Bezos and Amazon profited greatly during the pandemic. However, that doesn't make sense. Didn't they provide a service, one that we also gleefully accepted and used? Or complain about when our packages were delayed? They merely offered us what we wanted and was rewarded for following it. There's numerous articles about how the Amazon warehouse are treated badly, yet no one gives a flying fuck about them. If people really did care, then why has Amazon continuously expanded their warehouse operations to make up for demand? Everyone just wants their packages, and nobody cares about what happens in between. A documentary about a rising delivery service, like Amazon, in South Korea, told about the plight of their delivery drivers. Hours of unplayed labour to sort packages early in the morning, needing to piss in bottles to meet robot-driven deadlines, being billed for any package they failed to deliver, on a deadline made by robots with no concept of traffic, parking time, or fatigue. All this led to death by overwork, karoshi, suicide due to the intense pressure and severe medical conditions, like a coma. Yet, they are a rising star, a darling company that everyone ordered due to their two-hour delivery window. Nobody gave a damn about the plight of the delivery drivers, as long as they get their packages on time. I'm exactly the same. If my package gets delayed by a few days, then I'll lose my shit. The meat I eat is factory farmed. That's the only way we can get an entire roast chicken for 10 to $20. Now, don't even get me started on clothing and electronics. Minerals are the real offender here. Child labour for days. Yet, to point this out, to just speak the straight up truth to the masses would get you crucified. Imagine if a company CEO said that it ain't a forever company, 
As soon as they're useless, they'll get fired. This is effectively how every company operates. Yet they speak of being family, or how they look after the employees. Some give out volunteer days, or bring in dog days. Why is it that we can't accept the cold and brutal truth? Wouldn't it be more pleasant to see a danger coming at you, rather than backstabbed out of the blue? This brings up the question of irrationality of masses for politics and democracy. Every election cycle is the same. Each side promises shit they'll conveniently forget after getting in power. All adverts are just talking mad shit about opponents and everyone attempts to look charismatic. In politics, everyone wants that charismatic leader that will solve everyone's problems. Almost like a god. In fact, isn't that how dictators begin? Those leaders promise they'll solve everything and people are swayed by their charisma. What would a charismatic leader really do for a nation? Saying they'll solve rising living costs, stagnant wages or insane house prices really, really charismatically ain't gonna do jack shit. We don't need charisma, we need policies. Only by effectively swaying the market and creating laws to address the root causes can issues get resolved. In Australia, political parties are trying to create a law where only 2% deposit is needed for a home loan and people are eating this up. Don't those people know about lenders' mortgage insurance? Don't they realise how badly they'll get shafted should the property value change or interest rates go up? If you're so desperate that you only have 2% of a house values as deposit, I reckon just saving up to deal with rainy days is more logical. Yet, to get elected, smart and logical policies that would attempt to solve the root cause aren't valuable in the slightest. Thus the flaw of democracy's politics, which is ultimately due to how the masses act and react. Fear and anger influences outcomes far better than 50-page documents analysing problems. Go to any protests and what do you hear? Shouts and chants filled with rage. Not logical arguments on the feasibility of their ideas. In the wisdom of crowds, the author mentioned how, on aggregate, a group can predict how many jelly beans are in a jar fairly accurately. That is, a combination of minds is far, far greater than a single one. Then why, as stated above, are crowds irrational? The wisdom of crowds is predicated on each individual making an informed decision. Blindly following crowds turns into madness, as we've seen with Mao's cultural perch, where millions upon millions were lynched and killed. So why aren't people making their own informed decisions? A DW documentary talked about living poor in Singapore, where people aren't homeless, but are food poor. They would eat the same cheap food, like mee goreng or hash browns, every single day. Their poverty requires them to work non-stop and there's no safety net either. Their brains, literally, cannot comprehend the long term. So it isn't a question of just saving up money, trying to study, or ping pong to a higher and more valuable position. The stresses and their financial state alter the state of mind to cope properly. There's infinite problems in life. With rising living costs, living paycheck to paycheck became commonplace. Most people don't even have a few grand for emergencies, and we both know someone like that. Life has gotten so much more complex. To make an informed decision on every tiny little thing, when everyone is worrying and stressing about a million other things, simply isn't possible. Or, you're living in poverty and your mind has restricted the long-term planning aspect just to cope with daily life. Democracy lives and dies upon an informed and involved populace. Aristotle, nearly 3,000 years ago, 
highlighted the biggest issue in democracy. However, time that will benefit the few with the most power, and to prevent that, there needs to be a strong middle class to prevent the sway of power to one side, or a radical redistribution. Both of these aspects are nearly dead, and politicians only play lip service to the crowd. We all know that once the election ends, everything will go back to the way it was. Background deals to further the interests of the select few, whilst doing the bare minimum to keep an exhausted and perpetually stressed population sedated. The question in this episode is, pick your favourite non-native country. What would be your new name in that country's native language? For example, mine is Japan. So what would be my new Japanese name is what I'll answer next episode. With that concluding thought, thanks for listening to the Language of My Soul podcast. If you wanted more, then visit my blog at langsoul.com. If you had your own answers to the big questions or wanted to send through your own big question, then there's a voice clip link in the description or email me k at langsoul.com.